0: Bibles open them up to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Today, we're gonna take a look at the Lord's Supper communion. We're gonna look at its meanings, its importance. Really, we're gonna take a look at its effect on us as individuals, our individual lives. We're going to take a look at that in the sermon this morning. And then we're going to, then we're going to partake of it. We're going, to, we're going to observe it. Hopefully, by doing this today, all of this, it will bring us closer to Christ. And really, as a church, bring us closer together as the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26... This is the context here is is Christ and his disciples. They're about ready to take of the Passover, uh, the last Passover. In verse 26, the Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my uh, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's interesting. He's prophesying here of the New Testament. He's saying that the blood is what brings in the New Testament. Say, what's the difference? The biggest division in our Bible, the biggest uh, separation in our Bible, obviously is really the Old Testament to the New Testament. Also, be could be called the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. Amen. And the, the thing that activates or the thing that brings about the New Covenant, the New Testament, is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the cross. It is, it is the cross of Christ in which brings about a change of covenant. And by the way, God made a covenant with His people in the Old Testament and he's made a covenant with his people in the New Testament, and the New Testament covenant is better. It didn't make the Old Testament covenant bad. It didn't, but but he's added to it. We'll see that, and as we kind of go through this, he's added to the Passover. And what we're going to do today in the Lord's Supper, Communion, is better. It's better. A verse, uh, uh, he said, it's a, it's the New Testament, which is shed for many. For the uh, many, for the remissions of sin, his blood was shed for our our sins, payment. Verse twenty nine. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the of the fruit of the of vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I look forward to that, don't yeah, you? Amen. The day that the, the the marriage supper of the Lamb. That one day we have the hope of of having this supper with our Savior. But until then. But until then, we do this in remembrance of Him. He explains to them the the importance of the bread. I mean, that is the picture of His body being broken at, at, at Calvary. His body being uh, torn apart for us. He talks about the blood, and of course we understand the whole importance of blood. its It really is the theme that starts right in Genesis. We've talked about that here so many times that when the first man and woman sinned, Adam and Eve, what happened? God had to have a sacrifice to cover their sin. He made them coats of, of, of skin, right? And that was a blood sacrifice for their sin. And from that point on blood sacrifices were instituted by God for the remission of sins. There was temporary sacrifices all through the Old Testament. The Levitical priesthood, that that whole tribe, one of the twelve tribes of Israel, was set apart. Their whole purpose was to, to continually keep these rituals and these things going on for the nation of Israel so that they could have the remission of sins, this blood being shed, right? That's really what what the Passover was about. That's interesting to think about that, is the Passover, what was the Passover? Think back, the Passover was uh, instituted to remember God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Remember that? They came up out of Egypt, and right before they did, they put the blood on the the doorposts and the lentil. And it's interesting that He instituted Passover Before he delivered them. They had their first Passover before they were ever they had their first Passover in Egypt. And it's interesting that Christ had the first Lord's Supper before before he went to the cross. And so he's saying, Hey, this is I'm about to deliver you. I'm about to deliver you from Egypt, and he institutes Passover. He says to his disciples, My body's about to be broken and my blood's about to be shed. And he institutes the Lord's Supper, communion. And so, just as the Passover was a memorial for the children of Israel, and what would they do? They would take a lamb without spot, without blemish, and they would shed the blood of that lamb, right? And they would put that on their doorpost and let was as a remembrance, and they'd do cleansing as a family, and all of them, they'd be cleaned and cleansed up, and the same thing is really the memorial that's just a better one for the Lord's Supper, because as uh, the Jews uh, in in Jerusalem were preparing for the Passover. Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb, was up on Calvary's cross. Jesus Christ, by the way, he died at the very moment in history that he was supposed to. It was planned out. He died as you know, with his arms stretched out and blood on the on the doorposts, and that's why John the Baptist, when he saw him, said, "Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the." world. No longer do you and I bring a lamb as a sacrifice because we have a lamb Jesus Christ the eternal lamb. And then the Lord's Supper he reminds us it's a remembrance of salvation it's a remembrance of the cross you know in the Old Testament the Passover was a yearly thing for the families and for the people and it was a big deal it was a big deal the Passover was. In the New Testament the New Covenant we have The Lord's Supper. And for us as Christians, this should be an important thing. A very a meaningful thing in our in our lives. In First Corinthians chapter eleven, you might as well turn there. We're going to look at a few verses in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Now the Passover was every year, yearly thing for the for the nation of Israel, God's people there. But the Lord's Supper, he says in First in Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. So as, as often as we, as we take of the Lord's Supper, as we take of communion, it's one to remember, it's one to show his death, and it's really it's a thing that we know that he's coming back. Uh, it reminds us of the second coming, it reminds us of, hey, you know, we're not just going to be here forever, but the Lord has promised His return. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the Apostle, he's really the Apostle to uh, uh, the Gentiles, anybody who wasn't a Jew, and he plants these churches, and he institutes the Lord's Supper to the church. As, a, as an ordinance. And so uh, we, we believe that the Lord's Supper communion is something that Christ has called us to do just like we believe in, in baptism. And He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, and this is Paul speaking to the Christians at Corinth, he says, Be ye followers of Me, even as I also am of Christ, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. And then he continues down through this whole passage of First Corinthians chapter eleven and begins to talk about the Lord's Supper. And he he explains to them that this is really from verse 17 to verse 22. The, the church at Corinth was already observing the Lord's Supper before he instructed them to do this. But they were they weren't taking it real serious. And they had kind of made it more of a ritual, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a communion should really be a connection with Christ. It should be a coming together with him. And so he takes those verses, verses seventeen to twenty-two. And he kind of straightens them out and says, hey, this is serious. This is important. Don't make this just a, a ritual. Don't make this just something that you don't even think about that doesn't really, he says, don't make this just a thing that doesn't have an effect on your life. You know, it should uh, cause, cause an effect on us. It should, it should change us for the better. He shows us an importance here that they, they didn't know about apparently is that a truth about communion, that there is repentance before there's true communion. Now you can take of communion without actually uh, experiencing communion. You can take communion just as a, you know, just as a ritual and not actually make that connection with Christ. And he's saying here, hey... Uh, there must be repentance there must be a self examination a time of that a self judgment or judging yourself i'll show you where he says that look at verse 27 he says in verse uh, of chapter 11 in 1st corinthians wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the lord But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and some sleep. Verse 31, For if we would, look at this, judge ourselves, we should not be... Judged. So there is a part of communion, there's a part of this uh, uh, coming together with Christ that before you do it, you examine your own heart. You examine your own inner self. Now, I believe as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, indwelling. And I'm pretty uh, sure that the Holy Spirit inside of each believer. Will lead each of us into truth and, and convict each of us of, of of sin in our lives. If we have something that is breaking our fellowship with Christ, if there's you know anything—hatred, bitterness—you know, you name it, pride, those sorts of sins in our hearts and in our lives—I believe that the Holy Spirit will put His finger on it and expose it to us to be confessed of, to be. Brought to light, and that is really what repentance is. What is communion? Let's get that. What is that? It's a fellowship. It's that fellowship together. It's deeper than just simple fellowship. It's deep fellowship. It's a connection. It's really it's coming into agreement with one another. And a lot of times, that's communion and repentance. You know what repentance is? A lot of times, it's just an, it's just becoming into agreement with truth. Repentance, a lot of times, is just agreeing with the Lord, sometimes against yourself. In the sense of, hey, when you see truth and and your life doesn't line up with it exactly, you agree that, hey, I need to change, I need to turn, I need to change my ways, I need to make a correction here according to truth. Webster's 1828 Dictionary actually says that communion is a mutual intercourse in, in worship. It is, it is a close connection. It's becoming one with Christ. And that's what the body of Christ is, right? It is the bride of Christ. And it is coming, coming together. It's a close interchange of thoughts, emotions, on a spiritual level. Experience Experiencing his, his pain on the cross and His payment for us. It's a back and forth, a giving and receiving with Christ. And the... Commun- uh, communion is is done in community. It's done in that church setting or in, with uh, believers and followers of Christ, and we do this with Him. Now, what is repentance, and why does it precede communion? Well, we're called to repent. It's a it's a cleaning up. It's a preparing our heart. It's a you know so many times, uh, you know. So many times we have a strange idea of why the Lord warns us of sin in our life. Sin in our life hurts us. Sin in our life destroys us, but it also breaks that fellowship with Christ. So we can't really have communion until we have cleansing, until we have forgiveness, if it's been broken. And you know that in your own heart. I can't tell. You know, uh, we can't tell on each other. That's, that's very personal between you and Christ. It's a sincere regret, regret for past actions. It's that clearing, cleansing. It's a pure heart. Bringing that pure heart before the Lord. Next, chapter 26 and verse 20, Paul was preaching about to the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. You know, to repent is to turn to God. Really, all these sort of things kind of tie together even in with salvation, right? Because... What is salvation? It is a turning from anything that we trust in and turn to God. It's a turning to Christ and His payment for sin and His salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Have you ever seen someone or you yourself personally have had sorrow in heart for sin that you've done, and it was a godly sorrow, I mean, you were really sorry. You really were sorry that you uh, sinned against God, that you done something like that. He says that those that sort of sorrow leads to repentance, and that repentance can lead to salvation. Also, it can lead to forgiveness. He says, but the sorrow of this world work at death. There's also a sorrow of just getting caught. There's also a sorrow of, hey, I'm sorry I got caught. Not really sorry that, hey, I offended God and crossed Him. But this godly sorrow, it leads to forgiveness. You know, I don't believe that the Lord, He does not use uh, regret or guilt. We've said this here before, that the Holy Spirit, He convicts us of sin so that we can have cleansing, so that we can have forgiveness. Uh, the Lord, the Holy Spirit doesn't put—I don't believe—a a dark cloud of, of, of depression or guilt or, or you know a heavy load like that. I believe that that comes from the enemy, you know, to try and continually bring up our past and and to drag us down that way. No, the Lord says, "Hey, after He convicts us of sin and we have that sin for, forgiven, that He will He chooses to remember it no more. He." said it's as far as the east is from the west and to the depths of the sea, you know, it is forgiven, we're cleared of it. That's the wonderful thing about repentance is it brings a clearing, it brings a forgiveness, it brings a clean slate, an empty account. It's a wonderful, really, it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes we think of repentance as, you know, ah, you know, preaching on repentance. But, you know, maybe the repentance part isn't all that nice, but the fruit of it is... The peace of it is, the joy of it is, the after repentance, the fellowship with Christ. Really, that's what we're getting to in this message is that fellowship and communion with Christ. And so many times we have to repent first. He says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, talking about Christ and forbearance and long suffering? Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is long-suffering, is He not? He will suffer with us a long time, will He not? He sure will. He said, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. Have you ever experienced that in your life where you know that you're, you, you, there's something in your life, your crossways with the Lord maybe in some way, but the Lord is still good to us? I mean, He's still kind to us? He's still loving. That's what I've experienced. That's what I've experienced from the Lord. And even though maybe my attitude or my uh demeanor is not quite right, and I'm not showing the love of Christ to other people, he's still loving and kind to me. And so many times that'll just be the thing that says, Oh, I gotta get right with the Lord. I've gotta, I've gotta, you know, make this right. His goodness leads us to repentance. You know. A desire for a fellowship with Him, a desire for communion with Him will lead us to repentance. Well, if you haven't been fellowshipping with the Lord and walking with the Lord and, and you say, I miss that, I need to get close to Him. And this may be one of the steps in doing that. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 and 27, we know these passages well. That hey, what is the church? what is the church in the sense of the corporate, every believer, every person that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're the bride of Christ, right? And this is that passage about that, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. He says that he might sanctify, set it apart, and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. You say, how do I become holy and without blemish? How do I have all those things in my life? Well, the Bible says that we repent. We ask for forgiveness. The Bible says uh, in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins, listen, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, well, I don't feel all that holy. You can you say, I don't feel you know, spotless and cleansed. But you can. You say, how? Through repentance. Through so asking for forgiveness. Whatever the Lord has brought up into your heart, and into your life to repent of, He says, hey, you can uh, humble yourself and, and find, that, find that repentance. I thought of two examples of repentance. The first two kings of Israel. You had, uh, you had Saul... And he had David. Now the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's not really whether or not an individual has sinned or not. It's whether they've repented and found that forgiveness and found that a payment for their sins. Both of these men, Saul and, and David, both knowingly disobeyed God. And they both did it to their own hurt. The thing, again, I want to reiterate, the thing about disobeying God is not that God's just this God that just is really bent on people obeying Him for no apparent reason. It's good for us. When, we, when he, he puts these things out there for our own benefit, for our own good, for the good of our own lives. And Saul... He disobeys. He disobeys the Lord, His commandment, during a time of a war. And we talked about last week the the prophet Samuel. And he confronts Saul's disobedience Now the Lord sent him to. And I want to look at kind of his reaction. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Lord told Saul clearly what to do. There was no question. Uh, there was no uh, uh, difficulty in what he was supposed to do. And Saul clearly disobeys. He disobeys the Lord and his commandment. And the Lord sends the prophet Samuel to talk to Saul. Uh, we won't read all this passage, but look at verse 11 of chapter 15, 1 Samuel. He says, the Lord says through Samuel to Saul, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So he goes and he confronts Saul for his disobedience to the Lord. And verse after verse after verse, Saul, you know what he does? I mean, it was obvious. He was caught red-handed with disobeying the Lord. But you know what he kept doing? He kept shifting the blank. He was the king. He was the leader. And you know what he kept saying? The people. The people wanted to do this, and the people wanted to do that, and we thought we 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 thought that what we could do is uh, you know he was supposed to destroy all the the wealth and all the inhabitants of the Amalekites, and he took all the best spoil, he took the riches, the best you know things. And when he was confronted with it, he tried to act like he did it for a spiritual reason. He's like, oh, you know, I took the best bullocks and lambs and all that stuff because I wanted to give a sacrifice to the Lord. He tried to shift it, and he kept trying to say there was reasons why that were better than just obeying the Lord. And again, he kept shifting the blame, justifying himself, excusing himself by blaming other people. Do you know that is not repentance? I mean, when you're really wanting to get right with the Lord, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're uh, uh, trying to find salvation it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ just trying to get cleansed and get right with God. You can't... you, you got to come to a place where you just own up to it. And just and just take the blame on yourself. And, you know, so many folks are... are. Um, I hate to break, but... The, like, you know, somebody, you call them a politician when you can't pin them down on, on something that they do wrong. Never will admit wrong, never will admit guilt, right? But you know what? You might get through life that way, and, and you might be able to justify yourself over and over again and, and just say, you know, they can't pin anything on me because I, I, I'll never admit guilt, but you'll never get clean that way. You'll never have a right account with the Lord that way. You'll never feel the peace and the joy of the Lord uh, without true repentance, and that's really what happened with Saul here. And here's the Lord's response to it. Verse verse 22 of chapter 15, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord so great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, you can't buy God off. You can't buy God off. That's what Samuel's telling Saul. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of lambs. And then he goes on to say, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, is as the iniquity of idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath rejected you from being king. And that was it. From that day on, uh, the Lord sent Samuel to anoint a new king over Israel. Saul, he finished out his days as king, but it didn't go on. From, From lineage to lineage, his children, it did not go on. But let's look at another person's response. To send David in uh, Second Second Samuel Second Samuel chapter twelve David he clearly did what was not right and the, a different prophet the prophet. Uh, Nathan He comes to David, kind of tricking him a little bit, and tells him this little story about how this rich man in town had great flocks and great herds and had all these sheep and all these things. And then there was a poor man in town that had just one little lamb. And this one little lamb was really precious to this guy, and it was like his dog. And the rich man received uh, a guest into his home. And the uh, rich man, instead of taking of his own flock, of his own sheep and or cattle and, and making a feast for this guest, he goes down to the poor guy's house and takes that one lamb that he has and kills that lamb and makes a feast for his guests. And Nathan tells the story to David. And David gets furious. He gets so mad, he says, that guy's going to pay for this. He's going to pay back four times, all this stuff. He says, that's so wrong. And after he gets done say pa- passing judgment on this man, Nathan points his finger at him and says, David, thou art the man. That's right. You're the one that did that. You're the one. And David's like, oh, I did do that. That is me. That is the sin that I had just committed. That is what I had done. Look at verse... Um, What is it? Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin that thou shalt not, what? Die. You know what David did? He had a very different... He didn't blame it on... Uh, her, he didn't blame it on Bathsheba he didn't blame it on anybody else he didn't blame it on him being the king and he could do whatever he wanted with Uriah the Hittite he didn't, he didn't go to any, anything other than when, when Nathan said, thou art the man David said, guilty as charged I'm guilty he said, I've sinned, I have sinned before God I have done wrong and you know what the difference is? David found mercy You know, David was a man after God's own heart, not because he never sinned. It was because that when he was confronted with his sin, he was willing to repent. He was willing to get right. He wrote a psalm about his repentance. Turn to David did, about this instance that we're talking about, Psalms 51. His sin according to Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Psalms 51. The point here is, hey, when it comes time to commune with the Lord, we just want true, sincere, humble repentance before God, and that opens up the door for fellowship. That opens up the door to making that connection with the Lord. Lord doesn't think that we're perfect. He knows who we are. He knows our frame. He knows that we're susceptible to temptation and all those things. But will we be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and repent? First uh, uh, Verse 1 of Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's funny how... When we're in trouble, this is just human nature, we're glad that the Lord's long-suffering and full of tender mercies, and He has multiple mercies, isn't it? I think we should remember that when someone else is in trouble too, You know that the Lord is long-suffering. And, but, but, but David's doing the right thing. He's saying, God, have mercy on me. And he's calling on God's mercy and His tender mercies. He says this in verse 2. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He said, hey, clean my heart out, wash me up. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Look, David is bringing a full, complete confession. And not one time in Psalm chapter 51 does he blame anyone else for his faults or his sin. Not one time. You know, so many times in our just human nature, I guess, uh, we want to blame our parents or we want to blame our society, or we want to blame you know, our, our just luck, bad luck, or whatever. But really, when we want to get right with the Lord, it's going to, just become, it's going to be become between you and Him personally. And that's it. And David, he came completely clean. He said, I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Look at verse 4. Against thee, and thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. You know what David said? Hey God, I sin before you, and you are just and you are clear no matter what the judgment is. And and he said that to the prophet Nathan too. And Samuel, when when it came to judgment, uh, Samuel or Nathan uh, um, offered him some choices, and he said, I don't want to choose. Let God choose my judgment. Because God's merciful and God's kind. He says, uh, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, hey, I've had sin my whole life. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You know why David wanted to be clean? You know why David wanted to be made white as snow? Verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness. You know what David had lost? He'd lost the joy in his heart. He'd lost the, the joy bells ringing. He'd lost the song in his heart. He said, Hey, make me to know the joy of the Lord. Bring that rejoicing back. He said, The bones that are broken, they may rejoice. He said, hide thy face from my sins, verse 9, and blot out my iniquities, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see the difference between the two? The difference between Saul and the difference between David's repentance? Saul says, sorry I got caught, but it's all these other people's fault. These are all my excuses and all my reasons for what I've done. David said, guilty as charged. God, cleanse me. God, make me clean. God, draw me close to you. Forgive me. And you know what? David found forgiveness. And you and I, we can find forgiveness. And so we're going to take a communion. It's a memorial of Jesus Christ and the death on the cross. The payment that He made for sin. It's a a reminder of the coming of Christ. And when He's going to come back and take us uh, with Him. It's this picture of a closeness and a relationship with Christ. But before we do, we're going to have a time of prayer. A time of repentance. A time of, hey... You know, the Lord's put something on your heart. Ask for forgiveness. Get cleansed from it, And in doing that, you can have true communion. Not just here as a, uh, 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 um, an ordinance at the church, but man, you can have communion all week and all month and, you know, a relationship, that closeness with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced... Salvation. If you've never been saved, born again. Hey, during this time of prayer, just just simply ask, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. That is what that repentance is. It's saying, Hey, I'm turning to you, God, to be my Savior. He will. He will. Lord, he? he sure will. All right, let's take a time of time of prayer. Take as long as you need.